a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very profound. Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this incredibly cool episode, artist, actor, and unschooling parent Simon Essler comes by to talk about his film, Cut, Daughters of the West, as well as the family unit, situational awareness. We talk about his entity encounter, which is fascinating, as well as some silly-ass conspiracies. We have a great time. This one's deep. It's fun. It's fascinating. You're really, really going to enjoy it. So all the ways to find him located down in the show notes, as well as all the ways to locate us and further connect with us as well. So let's get right to this incredibly fascinating conversation with Simon Essler. Simon Essler, welcoming to the show. It is an honor to meet you, sir. You are passed uh, from a dear friend of ours and family member and tribe member here, John Paul Rice. And anybody he sends our way, I know is here on an absolute mission and you are aligned to our cause and mission of empowerment and freedom as well. Uh, so if you don't mind for my audience, all the ways, of course, to find you located down in the show notes, so you'll make sure to check that out. Uh, if you don't mind for my audience not too familiar with you, sir, just uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm Simon. I am a unschooling father. I'm a content creator. I'm an artist. I'm an actor. Uh, I have been working in alternative media and uh, in more conspiratorial spaces for well over a decade now. And, you know, I was uh, I was initially actually in the ufology space and I was working there based on the fact that I, I really had experiences my whole life. And so I was pushed in a direction that was a little more expansive from a young age. And I spent some years working within the ufology space, researching that area, uh, sharing my experiences. I did a couple conferences um, and then uh, from there, I, I really focused my mission a little more on free thought. I wanted a more broad offering. And I actually, I was developing a think tank on Facebook that was sort of based in free thought, very research-based, and it was challenging official narratives. And uh, this think tank got to about 14,000 members. And then I got nuked on Facebook. I started getting shadow banned across social media. And around the same time, because of the work that I had been doing in the ufology space, with my focus on metaphysics and you know alternative history and occulted warfare, I actually got an offer to start producing shows for different platforms. And so I decided instead of fighting the censors and trying to grind against the shadow bands, that I would take my time to go into these private communities and work on my craft. And so I spent uh, about half, half a decade um, creating my own original content, uh, developing my skills, you know, as an editor, as a writer, um, as an, just an all around sort of one man show, wanting to be able to put my message out there. So I was working with edge of wonder, which has now become rise TV. I've got a big library of content over there. I've been working with dauntless dialogue and produced a whole bunch of content there. 
And uh, now I've gotten to the point where I, I spent this time with these private communities, really honing my craft, taking control of, of my creations. And I've arrived at the point where I have released Cut, Daughters of the West, my latest film. And this is my first independent release outside of the streaming platforms that I've been working with, something that I'm releasing uh, totally on my own. And I wanted to do that because I felt that if I was just going to release a film like this into those streaming platforms, it wasn't really going to do what it was intended to do, which is to save girls, uh, because genuinely that was the impetus that, that, that drove me to make this film. And so now I'm in this space where I'm establishing myself a little more independently and coming out of the realms of all the shadow banning and the censorship and building myself publicly again. And I am on a mission to, to really defend the family unit and to protect innocence and to use every single skill I have been able to develop to do that. And I have lived quite a varied life with a lot of different career paths. So uh, I have a, a unique skill set that I believe I can offer the world right now. It's fascinating. I have so many questions for you, my friend. I, I really like to know the motivation, like what got your heart in with the film cut with uh, healing young women in that way? What was your calling to that? It came from the research I had already been doing, uh, focus on the war on the family unit. I had spent years before that researching this for a docuseries that uh, that I made that is on Dauntless Dialogue, and it's a series called Superorganism. And I, I arrived upon this concept of the family unit as a superorganism. And the way that that occurred was quite naturally uh, when I was studying the war on the family, I, I decided to use these documents called the Toronto Protocols. And I talk about these a lot because they're they're very explicit in the ways that they describe warfare being waged against the citizens of the West to install a new world order. And they expi explicitly outline a war on the family unit. And so in Superorganism, I started, I started researching these documents and I noticed that they claimed that the family unit was a major obstacle to the installation of the new world order because of its capacity to pass knowledge from generation to generation. And that this was specifically one of the things that they wanted to stop. They wanted to break up the family so that knowledge and wisdom wouldn't move through the generations. And if you have generations that are not um, being availed to the wisdom of those that came before them, and if they don't have the orientation of a stable family, then they are at the whims of social engineering. They're at the whims of government, they're at the whims of media, they're at the whims of the public education system. So in response to that, I decided to explore an ideal of the family unit, the, the actual opposite of what they're trying to do, which is the ideal of the family unit as a superorganism designed to actually gather human wisdom and to pass it on from generation to generation on many different levels. So there is on the basic sort of linguistic knowledge base levels, um, but then also in sort of sublinguistic ways, ways that are more in terms of energy and consciousness and more subtle forms of psychology. So the more I looked into that concept, the more I found it to be not only true, but beautifully true and that there is science pointing in this direction. Um, and so I was working with this series that was on the one hand, uplifting this ideal of the family unit, and then on the other hand, exposing the occulted war on the family. And the more I looked into the war on the family unit, the more it became clear that there are operations within this war that specifically target the mother, 
specifically target the father and specifically target the children. And in the superorganism series, once I got into the war on innocence and children, I found that gender ideology was one of the most overt and obvious uh, operations at play. And then it was very detrimental to, to children. And so that's when I began tugging at that thread. But the more I looked into that, the more I found out that it is specifically hurting girls uh, in ways that it is not hurting boys in massive, massive numbers. And it caused me to look a little more deeply at what our culture has been doing to girls and women for a long time. And so that's how I got drawn into making Daughters of the West. It was from that foundation of research where I discovered that if we only look at gender ideology and this explosion in trans girls, adolescent trans girls that's going on, then we're missing these long form uh, operations in terms of social engineering in ways that our culture has been incrementally changed to harm women and girls, to make it more difficult for girls to become women. And I wanted to invite people into a broader discussion about this issue because I noticed how polarized and politicized uh, the whole gender ideology trans thing was being. And I, I, I found that, um, you know, if there's a way that I can neutralize that political charge and invite both left and right into a way of seeing this, that is just a call to action to protect girls, then perhaps I can do more uh, and perhaps I can actually save more girls. And, and that was part of why I ended up sharing this. So I sort of innocently discovered that there was these trends preceding the trans craze uh, in plastic surgery and that cosmetic surgery was rising in younger and younger girls long before gender ideology exploded in this cohort. And that to me was very, very telling. And it was an invitation to explore what we've been doing to girls for a long time. It's a heavy topic that you bring to bear, but it's also one um, that's so important because like you said, the unit of uh, family is is crucial, like you said, for passing this stuff on. And there's so many people that go through their grandfather's or grandmother's things and they're just like, I have no idea. Uh, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know anything about that side of our family. And it's uh, they're afforded that uh, opportunity once the person's passed. But you could see how even in that we're we're shown we we live such a crazy lifestyle and there's we're so busy and it's just so hard to go see grandma and grandpa and get that information right and so it's this it's that part of it as well as like you said the male part of it uh feminism played a, a hell of a role on women's confidence uh to be themselves and to be the powerful goddess that they could be and that's an interesting again it's it's spread out across the board so your focus on the damage that this has done and especially to this degree what have you found in in the research that you've been doing with this specific nuking of attempted nuke of the family unit well uh it has been undone number one just as a cultural ideal so there is no clear beautiful ideal of the family unit and i think foundationally speaking what we're looking at is a manipulation in our culture of what the role of ideals really are like uh, you know what is the purpose of a cultural ideal and we are misled often into the idea that the only role an ideal can play is to judge and is to use to judge others and to judge oneself and by submitting to this false and very limited notion of ideals, we were led down a path that said uh, this traditional family unit, so a man and a woman having a child or children, uh, uplifting that ideal is oppressive. And this notion was based on, on this, uh, this false premise that if you uplift that ideal, you are oppressing families who are structured differently. Families who have same-sex parents, 
children who are raised by their grandparents. The notion is that if you uphold this cultural ideal of the family, you are oppressing these others. And what I have found is that is utterly false and that ideals don't, they can be used to judge, but that is not really the purpose they serve. The ideal of the family unit um, and all ideals, I believe, can be used as a compass for the collective to keep focus. And we have always experimented with ideals and strayed from ideals, and we should. We should not use them as rigid forms of dogma that entrap us, um, but they do provide a direction for society. And what I found in my research was that there was perfectly good science uplifting the ideal of the man and the woman making a child, that there are beautiful things that happen that are unique to a man and a woman making a child and raising that child. And so to me, some of what I discovered in just a, from a very scientific perspective, you know, it wasn't, I'm not coming from a Christian perspective, even though a lot of people that are fighting for the family unit have traditionally been Christian. Um, it seems to really come from nature that there is a science of devotion. There are things that occur when a man is devoted to a woman that has his child. There are things that occur in his body and her body that are very unique. And so I think there's a difference between producing cultural ideals uh, that have an agenda versus cultural ideals that actually arise from nature, from our study of nature, from the beauty of nature and what the natural world has offered us and um, the, the natural balance of masculine and feminine that is inherent in the universe itself. There are ways of, of taking ideals and letting them arise from nature, and there are ways of taking ideals and letting them arise from agendas. And I think we've really lost the plot in terms of the role of culture in regards to that. Culture at this point has disassociated us from life itself rather than being an expression of it. And I think that's one of the ways we can get back on track is uh, by reconnecting to life itself, number one, not culture. So not using culture as your connection to reality, but using culture as a means of exploring the natural world around you and the actual real life connections and experiences you have. And that's what I want to do with the family. So that, that's what I found is we've been disassociated from the ideal of the family. And it has been an actual intentional form of warfare. Um, but a lot of it is very covert. And so we haven't noticed the ways that culture has disassociated us from life. And so we don't want to fight back just in terms of culture warfare, even though I think cultural warfare is one part of this, I think our sort of obsession with culture is a form of disassociation in that if you have a family, uh, connect deeply with that family in every way you can with your physical vehicle and connect deeply with it outside of the notions of culture and start there, start with the, the real life, uh, tangible, em empirical world that you have. And I think that will help us move forward. And there are lots of ways to do that. Uh, I, your perspective is fascinating, man. And I don't disagree about the ideal family being an ideal model for some folks who choose that ideally. Now, what's awesome about this as well as I've just found in my research, I mean, um, that it's such a such a subjective reality in the way that and I don't disagree with you that this uh, was put out. Uh, there's a long paper trail that is associated with the communism takeover and the Nazis sort of infiltrating. And those are two maybe seemingly disconnected things, but even within those, you have Obama coming out saying, ah, oh, we're just lying to you, uh, propaganda is totally legal. So with all of those options available to us, and we see that that is a game plan being played out in front of us, nature uh, does see things differently as well. I'm so grateful that you brought up the natural order of things, because even in nature, you'll find things like what we'll find 
the narrative offers to young people as a distraction, but in anything, in, in liberation of anything, I find two energies. This is just my observation of this place, right? To be alchemized, okay? So even within that attempted destruction of the family unit, we have an example in nature of tolerance. We have an example in nature to where entities that choose that route know that the, by biologically altering themselves in a way to suit their environment, usually it's out of necessity. Now, what's interesting here is that it seems that folks are choosing to willfully change their bodies out of necessity, but it's more of an emotional social pressure and an engineering, not the necessity to fit in, which is the biggest one in our culture, right? Or that's one that we're told is the biggest due to our desire for connectivity as a species, as an entity. So what's fascinating about this is even though you have examples in nature of animals suiting, like let's say changing their gender to suit a population demand or cutting off, um, like uh, let's say coyotes, for instance, will take a census among themselves. And if they get a certain number of lower calls, the females will go into ovulation and then produce. Now, same thing with uh, the non-offering of that as well. If they're a little overpopulated by that audible census, they will dial everything back and nature adapts. So again, to this, you'll have... Uh, Animals, uh, frogs, for instance, I know um, Alex Jones went off on this and made it comical, but what's really interesting about this is, is that populations will sort of change their genders again in response to a lack of to make up for the balance and have the ability to do that. Now, again, we have balances and examples in nature that are absolutely out there for us. Now, those family units know also, though, that they're probably not going to be carrying that gene on by altering their biology in that way. And we as humans especially know this. And so really to this as well, there's a precursor to this ideal psychologically, I feel in the zeitgeist, which was the feeling that you don't want children like, oh, no, 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 you don't want kids. You just want to fucking live your life. You want to go spend your money. No one needs to procreate. And, but the thing is, is that is an option, which again is found in nature as a choice is ubiquitous. They, they painted in such a wide brush, which is the same thing with like the folks who do decide to make alterations to their biology that that have altruistic motives with it, that don't choose to be a spectacle. The ones that do choose to be a spectacle are the ones that are propped up and then demonize this entire thing. And then there is a big division in acceptance for simple folks' choices. Now, again, I don't disagree that the family unit has absolutely been attacked. Where in our model moving forward is there the ability for the folks in the family unit that do choose legitimately to biologically alter themselves in a way that they feel absolutely compelled to do, but then still retain the guidance in the family unit and love to be able to nurture that rather than demonize it. Yeah, that's that, a great does that question. fit into the model? Well, so I think what we're, what we're dealing with, and this is something I'm a big advocate for is situational awareness. We live in, in, in a war, in a modern war, in fifth generation warfare. And it's important that we bring this to the surface. It, it's important that awareness of the exact kind of war that we're living in is available to everyone um, because free thought has to be based in a, a certain level of situational awareness. So when we look at a lot of the, the individuals making this choice, um, knowing the forms of communist warfare that are at play is important because Yuri Bezmenov spoke about this in his 1984 interview. He said that we're going to um, subvert the West ideologically, but we're going to do it slowly over multiple generations. So um, if we take that, let's say, let's, let's accept that that's part of what is going on, that you have this multi-generational manipulation going on. If it is brought to the surface, 
that this is these are the conditions that we're living in. If children are given the understanding that they may have generations of manipulation that they need to wake up to, then to me, it's within the context of truly knowing who they are and the conditions in which they live with, you know, and the, and the, 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 the family line that they have come from. So knowing that perhaps my parents were manipulated in this way and their parents were manipulated in this way, then you have free thought and you have the ability to make these decisions. But as long as we are living in a war, and this is the important part about fifth generation warfare, fifth generation warfare is designed to make it so that the people who are being attacked, number one, don't know they're being attacked. And number two, don't even know there's a war. Um, how can people make informed consent uh, a reality if they are not even informed about the sophisticated kinds of warfare that they are being targeted by? And so we do want people to have freedom of choice. We do want them to have bodily autonomy. I believe we're moving in the direction as a civilization towards um, sovereignty of the individual on, on levels that we have never seen yet. And so that is a, the, the baby we don't want to throw out with the bathwater here. Um, I think when you're looking at body modification and the sort of freedom to do so, you want to minimize coercion and you want to maximize free thought. Now, free thought has to be based in a number of things. So the best definition of free thought that I found is that it's the ability to produce thoughts with logic, reason and empiricism. Um, and I really want to lean into empiricism there because that is using the body and the body's actual experiences in reality to connect to truths. And then you take those and you want to be able to assess what that empirical experience was without using dogma, authority or tradition. And so that's the sort of formula of free thought that I think gives us a clear sense of how to move forward. So let's say someone wants to make decisions about modifying their body to me if it's grounded in free thought then you have a system that enables that choice to be uh, to be freeing and to be in alignment with who they really are because a lot of what is going on is uh is coming from not just social engineering but specifically social engineering that is coming from phones and uh smartphones that contain social media now social media itself is a kind of disembodiment ritual. And we all know this. social media, it, it it's disembodies us. Even as adults, we know that this is a struggle, that the addiction and the dopamine hits and the externalization of motivation that social media creates um, is a kind of disembodiment ritual. And so if you have children developing their minds uh, according to a disembodiment ritual, that's problematic uh, just, just to begin with. And we know, and this is something I point out in the film, that we are currently looking at the first generation of middle school children to have ever been given smartphones and social media. And that, that has caused a major mental health crisis in adolescent and preteen girls. So we know that, that number one, you're dealing with a disembodiment ritual. So you don't want someone to be making those kinds of permanent life-altering choices based on information they get from this disembodiment ritual that is social media. But then you add on top of that, the fact that social media itself is being used as a channel to push gender ideology as a sort of propaganda stream. And that um, that's an exponential increase because gender ideology is in and of itself part of another disembodiment ritual. 
and even to the point that it mimics ancient forms of rites of passage. So um, I've studied rites of passage. I'm certified as a life cycle celebrant. I studied in the art uh, of ceremony creation, of creating custom ceremonies and rituals and the history of it. And it's very clear to me that the steps that a young girl goes through to transition into this new identity, it mimics the rites of passage that we have always had as a humanity. So you have this girl who's she's in a struggle. She's she's in a difficult time in her life. She is offered tools to transform herself. She is given means of manipulating who she is, developing a new identity, getting a new name. She is given her new name. And then with that new social status, she enters the community. And what's occurring on social media is that these girls are then celebrated. Oh my God, I love you. You're so beautiful. You're so brave. You're doing it. A lot of them will go viral for coming out in this new identity. Those are the actual structures of a rite of passage. And rite of passage has always been powerful for humans. This kind of ceremonial approach to moving through difficult parts of our lives has always been powerful psychologically. And so, of course, when a girl is in the stage of life um, that is so challenging, you know, adolescence is so difficult and she is offered an actual rite of passage to try to navigate that. Of course, she will welcome that experience. And so this brings us back to, to your, your original question that of course we want people to be free to explore their identities and their bodies, but to what extent is freedom of thought actually at play when there are that many layers of manipulation that actually disembody and then stop the process of free thought from occurring. Dude, I, I'm going to uh, just stop here and compliment you for a second. So I work with someone that's very near and dear to me that is non-binary, did it absolutely by choice, no social pressure. And I'm very, very proud of them for what they did. And like I said, near and dear. And so there's a big difference in their mind as well to the situation that we're talking here. And Simon, the way you answered that, man, is the best answer to that question from a most aligned perspective with all that is our tribe I've ever heard. You absolutely opened your heart with that, with your ability to still remain sovereign with folks, which this is why we're lying, dude, I get this. Thank you, John Paul Rice. Uh, to retain folks' ability to remain sovereign in their decision-making, but still being absolutely aware that that decision comes at a social pressure as well. Now, rather that's something that's guiding their decision-making or not, it's a beautiful thing that you pointed out here because, again, it does point out the, the blind spot that we have had as a society that you have figured out. And the way that you're articulating it is the best representative for the message that I can I can stomach, man. So thank you so much for this. You're an incredible pioneer for this. So I, I wanted to personally thank you for that answer and how heartfelt and honest and amazing it was. We all felt that, so thank you. Now, I do want to ask you... With the known psychological warfare that's been going on, how does one articulate that to their kid? Because when I was a kid, there was nothing my parents could tell me. I was one of those, I guess, uh, rebellious teens. And it, it set me, I mean, it set me on an incredible path. I, do, I regret nothing, but I don't disagree with the importance of the family. So again, I was sort of one of those that was out, but my mom and dad still had two others. They were doing a great job with, right? So there was, there's this idea again of this, articulation to kids in a way that they just don't go, well, fuck that. That's just what mom and dad think. And I'm just going to do the opposite regardless. Cause that was my modus operandi, man. So what is the approach? What are some actionable approaches that parents can take to have this conversation? Well, I think 
you do want to do it in a way that is based on your child specifically. And this speaks to our entry as a species into this era of sovereignty that we are on the precipice of. Um, the normal approach to parenting and schooling, it you know, up until now, it's really been about trying to take a school of thought or a school of you know thinking or a, a system of theories and try to say, oh, this system of theories works great. And then you try to take that theoretical system and you try to apply it to your child. Um, and, and then there's this struggle to, to utilize that because your child is going to be unique in so many ways that um, parts of that theory aren't going to work. You know, we, we found this as parents that, um, you know, we were very much aware of what's called operant conditioning, um, which is the utilization of punishments and rewards to try to manipulate the behavior of children, of humans in general, but using that as a parenting tool, we are aware of the fact that the schooling system, the public schooling system is founded on operant conditioning, right? That it's like the punishment of the F or the reward of the A. And again, I would I would say that is also a kind of disembodiment ritual because the research shows that what that does is it destroys the child's intrinsic desire to learn and it externalizes it so that their motivation to learn should just be achieving things outside themselves. So what we have found as parents is that the study of your child as an individual is one of the most powerful things you can do. And to do that from the youngest age possible, that there, there are norms in our society that disassociate you from your child. The most common being the family units uh, approach to the work school balance, where the kids are in a public school um, eight hours a day, five days a week, the parents are working, people get a little bit of time together in the evenings, maybe a little bit of time on the weekends, but then they go back to the grind. They spend most of their time separated from each other um, under the influence of completely different, uh, everything but the family unit. So I, I would say that there needs to be a foundational commitment to knowing your child so deeply that you are not going to be at the whims of outside theories and system of think systems of thinking that might actually block you from seeing who your child is. Because even though I have researched this very deeply from a collective perspective, so I've looked at this as something that is trending in teenage girls. And so there's forms of groupthink going on and there's kinds of collective thinking going on. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, each girl that has made this decision has done it for her own unique reasons coming from her own struggle maybe her own traumas what she is stuck with in herself or the areas of her that are more open to social engineering because that again is unique in each child you know i have one son who's very firm in knowing who he is and he walks into a room he knows who he is and he just he goes off and he starts, he ignites and initiates everything in the room. I have another son who's just much more receptive and is sorting out who he is. And that's something he's very, very open to in, in his being. And this avails them to different kinds of social engineering. So knowing your child deeply is the first major commitment and looking at where in your lifestyle and in your structure as a family have you sacrificed the opportunity to know your child on that unique unique level as a sovereign being that is completely unique in all of his existence 
Um, where have you sacrificed that and where can you remove obstacles? So sometimes that might be a lifestyle thing. You know, a lot of families, they choose not to homeschool or unschool because they don't want to give up the stability of a certain job or they don't want to give up a certain lifestyle. And maybe maybe there are sacrifices they could make so that the kids are with them and homeschooling or unschooling can happen. Um, the advantages of that within this warfare uh, is just, I, I can't even speak to it enough. And so there are some challenges there. You know, I, I do push, I do push very hard in this direction of know your sovereign child very deeply, because then when you want to go to have those conversations, you're not bringing anything but your relationship with them into that conversation. You're not bringing a, a motive or an agenda to try to undermine them in any way. You're not trying to manipulate their life path. You're really trying to connect with who that child is. And the earlier you can do that, the greater an advantage you're going to have. Now, if you're starting with adolescence, of course, there's a lot there that's going to be tricky, right? If you're just starting to try to sort this out, there's a certain amount of individuality that has already been um, solidified and, and you just have to be honest about that. But I think as a major principle, that is where we're headed. And I think that's why homeschooling and unschooling are taking off because we're moving into this era of, of knowing the individual more deeply now than ever. And forms of tribalism and collectivism and groupthink are not serving us in the ways that they used to. And so I think if parents want to do that, that's a good approach. And I would say on a just a final note, and a little bit more of a practical resource, uh, is that I have a section on daughtersofthewestfilm.com that has all resources for families to navigate this. Um, so that goes from networks of parents who are struggling with this, who are trying to sort out how to deal with the fact that their children are transitioning socially or medically. There are resources to keep your children off of smartphones and social media up until a certain age. There's therapists, there's legal resources. So I would point people towards that to try to navigate things, but don't let any of that replace your commitment to know your unique child. Outstanding answer, Simon. Now, uh, in the fair and balanced way, we absolutely have a scope of representation on this show. We uh, appeal to a wide audience here. So for the young folks out there, do you have any messages for them specifically that may be helpful for them if they've come across this in their peer groups, if they have friends that are going through this or struggling with something as, as external from themselves attempting to define themselves? Do you have any empowerment that you can offer these young people? Yeah, I think... I think social development in those years is so beautiful and crucial. When I look back at my experience in high school, for example, my major takeaway was not academic by any means. Like I did all right in school, but it wasn't really about that. It was really about the social orientation that I gathered. And I think there is something to be said about cherishing those, those connections and those years where you are navigating the social mores um, and and trying to sort out who you are by working with your cluster and sorting out those different relationships. Um, each of us are very, very uniquely designed. Some of us are more designed to be in large groups of people and to operate in these large groups and to you know move around a room and have multiple different conversations. Some of us are more designed for very deep one-on-one -on -one interactions. Um, there is no one size fits all. And I think 
it's so important to begin the path of of knowing yourself uh, and and to start that work as early as possible. I was given the gift of being introduced to meditation pretty young uh, when I was in in high school. Um, and that was beneficial to me because it outlined the difference between me and my and my anxiety. It actually showed me the difference between those things because there's a lot of anxiety as a teenager. There's a lot to navigate. There was a book that I read. Um, I think it was called The Art of Zen. And it described the Western mind like um, like a thermostat system for, for an air conditioner. So you know that the, the the way that you can set an air conditioner is you, you can have the maximum temperature, you know, you have the temperature that turns the air conditioner on. Once the temperature in the room gets to a certain point, it turns it on. But then once it gets cool enough, it will turn off, right? And the way that this book described the Western mind and kind of Western anxiety was that this, this these two settings have been put right next to each other. And so it can never quite uh, get right. It can never quite turn off or on co completely. Um, and this was such a helpful way of looking at it to me. So I think understanding who you are and your mind in, in reference to, to your body and being able to make those forms of exploration, both inside and outside of social influences is important. So I think the most pointed way I can say this is notice how much quality time you're getting in terms of your solitude in comparison to your socialization and make sure that the balance does not um, send you away from your capacity to think freely, as I defined it earlier, right? This ability to use logic, reason, and empiricism um, to think about our experiences without using dogma, authority, and tradition. If you have free thought crystallized for yourself, if you know what that is, and then you can notice um, the balance of solitude and socialization, you're going to find a very uh, clear path forward because the only way we can notice when we are in groupthink is if we're spending correct time alone outside of the auras of other beings, so no one else in the room, and noticing what is me and what is not me. And you cannot sort that out if you are completely immersed in the auras of other beings all the time. So I would say get that balance so that you can sense the influence of your group and what that might be so that you can really sense your individuality as early as possible. Dude, yes, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to give you one of mine when I was a young guy as well. Uh, Dead Poets Society. Have you ever seen that with Robin Williams? The I movie The Dead. Oh my gosh, put it on your list. So uh, I sure. will uh, link the trailer down below, guys. So check that movie out. That was one of those freeing, empowering. They taught us about poetry. I started writing poetry in high school because of that movie. Anyway, it's called Dead Poets Society. It's an old one. We'll pull it out of the vault, but it's outstanding and empowering. And that was something as, as a young person that really articulated and uh, rang the bells in me of the things that you just articulated here. So that's an awesome one, guys. Another resource for you. And thank you for that. Now let's talk more resources now. Uh, we do have a conscious parenting community that we are setting up here that I'm just going to go ahead and announce on the show on this episode. Uh, we have a lot of folks involved in this, a lot of people into the unschooling that we are working with, as well as resources and homeopathic alternatives to running to the hospital for everything or running to urgent care for everything or growing your own food with Jim Gale and uh, the Food Force Abundance Project. So we have a massive resource within this that we would like to invite everyone to be a part of who's interested. Please email the show expandingrealitypodcast.com. But also, Simon, you and I were speaking earlier about uh, the mom and dad army. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about that? Yeah. 
So I came across the mom army as I was doing research for Cut, actually. So uh, I had just finished interviewing Pamela Yeager Garfield. She's known as the truthful therapist. Um, and so I, I had interviewed her on my podcast and I was, I decided that I was going to use that podcast interview as one of the interviews for cut. And she had brought up, uh, seek Smith, who is the founder of mom army and said, you know, you should really talk to seek Smith. Cause I think her insights into this issue would be important. And so I connected with seek and ended up doing an interview with her and talking to her about, uh, the war on children and the, the, you know, the rise in trans girls and, um, the connections to human trafficking that, that seemed to be a part of this. And that subsequently eventually led me to, to also connect with Ryan Heath of the gavel project. And Ryan is, um, he's the attorney for mom army, but he is also a part of dad army. And so, uh, mom army is essentially a coalition of, of moms and organizations that are fighting to end the war on innocence. And it was after collaborating lots with Seek and, and she had been approached by lots of fathers that um, we worked together to launch Dad Army. Um, and we are focused really on giving parents a voice on pushing back against all the different agendas that are going on. So there is primarily the war on innocence, but of course, Dad Army is a little more focused uh, also on the war on masculinity and the war on men, um, you know, trying to uplift ideals of fatherhood. Um, and we are not only just sort of creating content online, we are a boots on the ground operation. Uh, so lots of different things going on legally, you know, working to get justice for families who've been harmed by gender ideology, for example. Um, we're working with one dad right now. His, um, his name's Adam Vina. He has had his uh, child taken away from him. Uh, his four-year-old child is currently being, the mother is trying to transition the four-year-old child um, against his will. You know, we're really trying to get into the communities and actually try to help the families and the children and the individuals being harmed by all this. So people can go to mom-army.com and get connected with that. But we're also very active on Instagram. I think mom army and dad army are most active on Instagram. So give us a follow there. And, um, you know, for those of you that choose to watch Cut uh, Daughters of the West, you'll notice that I do a little promo for Mom Army at the beginning and a call to action to really join what we're up to because, you know, I didn't want Cut to just be about uh, the sort of the heartbreak of this whole situation. I wanted it to be a call to action as well. And that's why I connected it to these groups that are being interviewed in the film, um, because there, there's lots that we can do uh, to really make a difference. 100%. And that's what we are absolutely here for is the actionable answers. Because if anything, this conversation has reinforced the idea that we've talked about for a long time now, which is that no one is coming to save you and that the governments of the world actually aren't there for your benefits and for your health and for your betterment. That If you want to choose a certain path, they are. But if you're listening to this show and you connect with this and you're out there thinking, well, there's still a few more things on my list that I need to tick off. Uh, this is a massive one. Uh, aligning your home, tending your garden. This, this, these are the things that we talk about here. And that's why Simon's here is a resource for this. So again, all the ways lo located down below to find him. I want to ask you before I let you run here about uh, some conspiracy theories. So what is the silliest conspiracy theory uh, that you've ever heard? I came across one the other day that I, I admittedly had to laugh at a little bit. It was conspiracy theory that <laughs> that the elites have not actually been 
trying to manipulate us uh, and hide it, but that they have hidden trails of occultism for us to um, become occulted in a subversive way. And that the best thing we can do is to not expose ourselves to any symbolism at all. And I guess to me, I, I just, I, it's so ridiculous because we're just, we're not that fragile, you know, that we should be able to look at what's going on. And, you know, this was coming from a very, I guess, religious perspective. And I just, it made me kind of sad to see because there was a lot of people being like, yeah. So it was like, there's a conspiracy within the conspiracy within the conspiracy. Uh, every time. Uh, and always and that but it was trying to make fun of the people who had become so conspiratorial they were lost but i was like you're an example of the thing that you're criticizing and so it was just it was so many <laughs> it was so many layers deep that I, you know it made me realize that there's some people i i just i probably can't connect with <laughs> dude totally that's a great example it reminds me of bill hicks he had a uh skit about um pro-life people petitioning outside of abortion clinics. And it doesn't matter what your thoughts are on this. But what I mean is, is to say that they were like killing people for coming out of abortion clinics for getting abortion. So he was like pro-lifers killing people. You know, it's like this, there's such a disconnect with it. It's so amazing to us. We, we just see it clearly and it's silly as hell. Uh, have you heard the birds aren't real and that they're all government by drones? Yes. And then I recently saw a story where they actually have been using bird bodies for drones. What I love about this is you're like, get fucked. No way. And then you're like, hey, I haven't seen a uh, baby pigeon. You're right. And then you're like, no, 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 that's silly. And then you're seeing mosquitoes with numbers on their wings. And yeah, and they're yeah. like, oh, CIA came out there animating bird bodies, you know, and housing little machines inside of them to fly them around and be drones. You know, I saw a, a, a couple of years ago, it was a slideshow from a DARPA presentation. And in it, they were referencing uh insect drones from the 1940s yes it's been around man you know been around for a while a long time because that's like before darpa even existed officially um so yeah i think you know there's there is the possibility of lots of like natural seeming things being drones at this point well, and uh, even even to all the uh politicians uh being have you seen like the mask lines and we've seen what they've done yes. with these masks and silicone bodies and all these people i'd love the alternative community theory uh community rather i'm so grateful to be a part of this and they'll sit there and circle dot like freckles on their face and be like nope earlobe's wrong this is wrong this is wrong but yeah. it is the shape of this person like the kevin klein melinda gates thing have you seen that shit what is a mask thing? No, that well, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Kevin oh, wait, Klein yeah. <laughs> is actually Melinda Gates because yes, they got I've killed in 2013 <laughs> from some African tribe. I love this place. We're having a blast with it. Uh, it's fun. Uh, well, you know, the, the best thing is is that we do need to flex the right hemisphere of our brain, right? So there's a lot out there that's trying to put you towards left hemisphere thinking, which is just certainty right? Which is just about knowing and about breaking everything down into parts with no holistic thinking, no context. The best thing about some of these conspiracy theories is that it creates doubt. And that's a good place to be in, to be doubtful, to be holding multiple truths at once. That's healthy right hemisphere stuff. So as long as you're not being a conspiracy certaintist and being like totally committed to these things as for sure real, 
I think it's beautiful. It's healthy. Stay in doubt, stay in uncertainty, play around with multiple truths. It's really, it's good for us. Yeah. Question everything, right? We have a mutual friend in Charlie Robinson, right? You've, you've, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was on a show. I love Charlie. And he, uh, congrats. Shout out Charlie as well. Uh, y'all check him out on TNT radio. He's got a spot now for two hours, uh, 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday morning. So you guys go show our boys some love there. I'm actually going to be on, on the, soon check his schedule it'll be on i forget the date anyway uh one of his things with this and i adopted it early on when i found out who charlie was before i even started my show um it was that he is a conspiracy analyst not a conspiracy theorist and i love this uh nomenclature because i'm big into the nlp or the neurolinguistic programming the yeah. abracadabra as i speak i create right god created with the word all of these things very important and so even the nomenclature to me unassigned my emotions to an outcome with it i'm just yeah yeah okay cool yeah project bluebeam Super cool. I, I hope I get to see it. You know what I mean? But what I mean to say is with these, though, is absolutely it encourages cognitive thinking, which is that's what critical thinking rather, which that's what we're all about here. The show in all of its beauty and glory and all the topics we cover here, which I want to ask you about UFOs here in a minute, is the tagline for the show is the expansion of consciousness cleverly disguised as a podcast, because in having these conversations and in expanding our ideas of what's possible, that's where, like you said, we take the narratives of certainty and say bullshit. Like absolute bullshit. You look at anything NASA's doing in my mind. I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but it's not that. What they're telling us, it's not yeah. that. Um, so speaking of NASA, never a straight answer. Um, what do you think is going on with the um, with NASA actually specifically before we get to UFOs? What do you think is going on with that? Well, I mean, I know that NASA is a, this is a military operation um, from its inception. So this idea that it's like a public space agency needs to be just thrown out of everyone's minds. That's like such nonsense. Um, probably the craziest, but most amazing and intriguing research out there that I find found is, is the work of uh, William uh, Tompkins. You know, the, he, he was part of this whole secret space program line of research. Now he actually designed the NASA space center. Uh, he was him. Uh, so, and he has the blueprints and he has all this incredible material. He's passed away now. Um, so, you know, there is the distinct possibility to me, uh, that there is a secret space program, highly developed that we are, uh, we are utilizing space in lots of different ways. I think that's highly likely. Um, I think NASA is definitely an operation that is designed to mislead primarily. I think that is like, it's. It, the whole purpose of it is to mislead the public. Now, I know there's lots of debates in terms of why they're misleading the public. Like there's people that believe more like in the, the flat earth theory and like a lot of these things. To me, um, I think one of the, the, the biggest cover-ups in all of that is, is the technology. I think we're looking at technology, that technology that could free humanity is so at the heart of a lot of that that we're looking at anti-gravity, free energy technology, and so much of what is out there that muddies the waters, I think should be, you know, every once in a while we need to clear those cobwebs away and focus up on the fact that there is incredible, beautiful technology that, um, that could free us. Now, we do need to be aligned in terms of our consciousness as a species, our maturity as a species to implement that. So I think that is a big part of it. I think in terms of the extraterrestrial issue, that to me is rooted in consciousness. Um, so, you know, some people believe that all extraterrestrials are demons. Uh, some people believe that extra, extraterrestrial experiences are really just projections of what the collective is needing to see or experience. 
Um, and, you know, I don't, again, I don't demand or, or influence uh, or, or try to influence people towards any kind of certainty. I'll go back to this idea of free thought and empiricism, and you go with what you have experienced with your body. And if you've never had an experience with an extraterrestrial, something seems like an extraterrestrial, hold that knowledge very, very lightly. If you've never seen a craft, hold that knowledge very, very lightly, because anything you find online at this point could be heavily manipulated with the, the invention of AI and the ability to create complex narratives. Just nothing outside of that empiricism should be guiding you. So the reason I got into ufology is because I had experiences and I was going from that, that place of having you know, encountered craft and having encountered beings and things happened to me where I was like, I want to try to sort out what that could have been. Now, I still don't have certainty on what I experienced. I still, and there were times when I used to, and I've let go of that certainty because I can't say for sure what I experienced, but I know that it was outside of the realm uh, that we are taught to believe in and that it has been an anchor for me to to push for free thought and for expansive thinking around the ufology issue there's a lot there for humanity that's just untapped uh, i dude could not agree more i love your perspective on this what do you mind sharing one of your experiences with us yeah sure sure uh so there was an experience that i had when i was working as a meditation teacher and I was guiding this client into a very, very deep meditative state. This was a sort of very high level CEO who was very stressed, who was just desperate to manage his stress. And I had been using these uh, Taoist techniques uh, where I gaze into my own body so softly and with such subtlety that there's a sort of um, a non-attachment. So it's about a not doing and looking into myself as a not doing. And I was performing this technique and I had been doing this for quite a long time. And so I think this was something that sort of crescendoed in terms of where it took my consciousness. So I was performing this technique. So I'm doing the, the spoken word guidance for this client and I'm aligning my own body, going deeper into myself as I'm guiding him deeper. And then uh, there's a point in the practice when I go back to being open eye um, and to sort of anchor the space and to be there with my eyes open and to just be physically present. And it got to a point in this practice with this client where I opened my eyes and a being popped into the room and uh, just was standing there on the other side of this bed where this client was laying and just looked at me. And it was um, the feeling of it was like, like it was a natural occurrence. It wasn't like a being that had like arrived with a motive, like trying to reach out and contact me. It was more like I had entered a certain vibration or stream of consciousness that it happened to be working in at the same time. And we had sort of crossed streams and sort of like glanced at each other along the way. And so it was like very beautiful, very lighthearted, no motives, uh, just a very beautiful moment, very fleeting and then that being popped away and I just finished the session with the client and that was it. Uh, and it was, uh, it was kind of like, a, it looked like, like a, like one of these grays kind of, it was like a very small body being with a large head and large almond eyes. Um, but really just no agenda, no motive, nothing like that. It was just like a leaf falling from a tree. That was it. Wow. That's one of the most remarkable contact 
events I've ever heard. I will be citing this case. Thank you so much for this. Also, I've got to uh, invite you on for uh, Ronald and Philip Kinsella. They are both um, authors from the UK. They're dear friends of mine. And we do an expansive insider show called Insider Investigates. And we have invite contactees on because they are as well. Uh, to share their stories and we really kind of go deep with that. So we'd love to invite you for one of those. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, sure. I've got I've got lots of different stories God, I could share. What's an incredible, I mean, experience and way of going about it because you are now uh, confirming things that I've talked about, that there are many avenues to this and it's just really a, a, a switch or like a phase into that reality. Psychedelics offer you this contact phenomenon, near-death experiences. I mean, the list goes on, but especially those meditative states, it's so accessible here. And I think this is what we're finding with our new consciousness upgrades, which feels like what we're going, what we're experiencing just simply due as well to conversations like this, man, we couldn't do this five, 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Uh, You're with your work and with the, our our ability to really receive it in the correct way. So as the same way, the lizard turds ramp up what they're doing, uh, we ramp up what we're doing as well. And some would say that it feeds itself, which is a beautiful thing because our enlightenment and level up is uh, the result of that. That's the ROI. So, um, Simon, dude, I can't thank you enough, man. All the ways to find you located down in the show notes. Before we let you go, and I'm giving you the last word on this, you're a man of rituals, and I am as well. Would you want to share one of your actionable rituals with us and then just sign off, sir? Yes. Um, So what I really like to do actually is uh, take the time to, to, I'll share more more in depth what I did in that contact experience, actually. So. This is a ritual, a Taoist ritual of the eyes and the ears. And the ritual is to first look inwards with your eyes and to to smile with your eyes inwards. So there's this Taoist ritual of the inner smile. And what we can notice is that when we smile, we feel it in our eyes. And when you see someone smile at you, you actually you see their smile in their eyes. So we can take the smile that feeling of a smile with our eyes and we can look inwards and we can look inwards so, so softly and we can arrive upon any point in the body. And the way I like to imagine it is that the contact that your inner gaze is making is like you are touching the surface of water as lightly as you can. And that the more subtlety you can apply to that point of contact, the better. And then you can do the same thing with your ears. You can begin to listen with increasing subtlety with your ears and listen so, so softly that it becomes a not doing. And this is a, uh, the way that I like to try to reset my nervous system and to rediscover my inner vision so that it reorients me. So for me, it's about just reorienting my eyes and my ears. I was the benefit of studying with a man named Bluhan Matus, who's an expert at really nailing down that particular Taoist technique. He's got a great series of techniques of his own. And that's, uh, that's what I'd like to leave people with. That has helped me just amazingly over the years. I want to take a moment and thank brother Simon Essler for coming by and just absolutely representing one of the most important topics that needs to be talked about with this, which is this nuking of the family unit that's been going on for a while now. Now, uh, Boundless Optimist me, you know, and uh, most of you out there see this as an opportunity, of course, to create our own, which is also what Simon invites us to participate in here. So all the ways to find him located down in the show notes, as well as his film Cut, Daughters of the West. Check those out down there in the show notes, guys. Now, while you're down there as well, check out our resource links. They're all there to help you, and they are all fantastic. 
Also, while you guys are down in them very same show notes down there, check out expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's where links to all the socials can be found, as well as you can sign up there to become an expansive insider. It's a wonderful way to support the show. That's where all the bonus content is housed and homed. As well, we are starting to do these really cool meetups and stuff uh, semi-regularly, like more than we thought, and it's because they're just so much fun. So sign up uh, with the link below down there to enjoy us, uh, join us and enjoy that with us. There we are. As well down there, this is a value for value uh, system here. So if you find this valuable, we do encourage that you click the link down there, support the mission. And that is a way that you can contribute anything that you'd like. And we really appreciate y'all participating in that. And one more thing I want to mention is the Phi Tribe. Guys, go down there and check that out. They're YouTube sleep mixes, but they do so much more. Lucid Dreaming, they have a whole playlist of 432 music that's not sleep music. It's pop music from all kinds of different artists. So go down there and check that link uh, to really, really level your sleep up at the very least but at the very least so go out into this incredibly beautiful and amazing place guys and pick up a piece of litter be nice to everybody that you come across of course uh, get out of the left hand lane if you've got somebody behind you wanting to pass there please and thank you and above all and anything else go out into this incredibly beautiful and mysterious place whatever the fuck this thing is and y'all just be good to one another thank you so much for watching listening engaging and just being the cool sons of bitches ever We'll see you next time.